A cashless society. To many on the forefront of technology, it sounds like a dream. Retailers and restaurants can't seem to ditch it fast enough. But for the poverty-stricken and others navigating the U.S. economy without much money, cash is still king. So will we ever get rid of it for good? This is TikTok. I'm Andrew Mock. Joining me today is Bloomberg News reporter Krista Gamalik. Krista, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Uh, So let's start with how widespread the cashless movement already is. We know that a majority of Americans are using cards or making digital transactions most of the time, and that a growing number of of chain stores have shifted away from it. So are we able to to sort of quantify the cashless trend? It's really difficult to put an exact number on. But I do think it's safe to say that it's a growing trend, and we're seeing more stores and more restaurants going cashless. Now, the vast majority of stores still accept cash. So I think, you know, we're starting to see cities and states banning cashless stores, and I think we're seeing that because a lot of these lawmakers are trying to get ahead of the curve because that's where things are headed. Yeah, and I want to make clear, the federal government actually doesn't require retailers to accept cash, which is something that I think probably a lot of people don't know. I, I, I found that surprising. Do you think that has anything to do with the popularity of it all? Yeah, I, I didn't know that either. Uh, the federal government doesn't regulate that right now. So I think that's why we're seeing states and cities starting to jump in. Uh, the federal government doesn't really say much about it. And we should say, too, this is now just sort of becoming a thing in the U.S., but other countries seem to be miles ahead of us at the moment. That's absolutely correct. We're seeing other countries really tapping into cashless payments. China is one example. Mobile payments have taken off there. The Indian government's pushing digital payments there. And uh, I think when you're talking cashless societies, probably the one that's most commonly talked about is Sweden. And when I was reporting out this story, we came across an interesting statistic. In Sweden, only a quarter of the population paid in cash at least once per week in 2017. So really, not a lot of people paying in cash there. That, that's a really surprising statistic, I think. Um, so let's look at the benefits. I mean, what's in it for, for these companies and retailers or for these governments or citizens uh, who are going cashless? A lot of these businesses that are going cashless are saying cash is cumbersome. The time and effort it takes to collect it, store it, to count it, and then to transport it, I mean, that's, that's really time-consuming, and it costs money. So, you know, by only accepting credit and debit cards, these businesses are able to be more efficient. They're also saying, too, you know, physical theft and robbery is less likely. Plus, for their customers, you know, lines at the cash register tend to be lower when people aren't taking the time to count out their cash and then cashiers aren't having to make change. So I think it really boils down to efficiency. So let's switch to the other side of the argument, which I think is really the the meat of this story. Opponents say this practice is discriminatory. Can you unpack that for us? Yeah, it, it comes down to the fact that there are still a lot of people in the U.S. who are unbanked with no checking or savings account at all. And there's also a significant portion that's underbanked. I believe it was like six, something like 6.5% of U.S. households are unbanked. And then another 19% on top of that who are underbanked and don't have access to all the financial services that they need. So because these people have difficulty accessing credit and debit cards or, or mobile payments, they wouldn't be able to buy goods from a cashless store. 
there's a ton of different reasons that people are in this position, that, that people are either unbanked or underbanked. The homeless obviously are affected, but even those living paycheck to paycheck, which is a large portion of the U.S. population, they might not have enough money to meet minimum account bank balances. Bank fees scare other people away, and then privacy and security are concerns that come up. So I want to uh, switch to the the privacy argument, which is something you've actually mentioned twice. And what I find interesting about this issue is that it kind of exists on both sides. Like proponents say that going cashless could cut down on theft and make payments more secure. And then on the other side, we know, like you said, there are some Americans who these so-called unbanked Americans who avoid opening up a bank account because they're also concerned about their privacy. Is there a way for a cashless society to address those concerns? I think really that's the million-dollar question, and you're absolutely right. Privacy kind of hits both both sides of this issue. There's people, as you mentioned, who don't want to open bank accounts because you know they don't want to be tracked by a bank, or for whatever reason they're distrustful of banks. But then you also have people who are saying if we're using credit and debit cards all the time, that makes it easier for companies to track our spending and, and to have data on us. And so, um, you know, I don't know if there's a perfect solution. There's certainly, like, these in-between services that are kind of helping the under and unbanked right now, and I would be happy to talk more about that. Um, but a lot of that has kind of stemmed out of, out of the tech world. Yeah, let's talk about those in-between. It's, it's these uh, tools that essentially store money but don't link to a bank account. That's right. We, uh, there were kind of two different groups we brought up in the story I did. The first being companies like Square and PayPal. So they both have products that don't require a bank account, and they let people store money. So Square's Cash App, for example, people are able to receive direct deposits from employers. There's also a debit card that goes with it. So, so people that don't have a bank account would still be able to, you know, swipe their debit card at potentially a cashless store or somewhere else. And, uh, you know, Square's cash app, interestingly enough, wasn't originally designed for the underbanked, but I think the companies really found that it's reaching those groups. So, so we talked a little bit about, you know, Square and PayPal and what they're doing, but there's also, and I think it's important to mention these challenger banks we're seeing that are essentially these online banks kind of like Chime, if, if you're familiar with that one. And what they're doing is they are offering bank accounts. And these bank accounts don't have minimums. They have fewer fees than what traditional institutions offer. So you're seeing those products, I think, kind of resonate with the underbanked as well. And so what are these other countries that have really embraced this movement doing to to address that issue with you know, low-income citizens? How are, how are they uh, tackling that problem for them and still going cashless? Well, it's a, it's a bit of a tricky issue. Um, when I was talking to people and kind of asking that same question, it really came around to the fact that the U.S. has a very different banking system than countries like India and China and Sweden. And so that's really affected how people are able to tap into digital and mobile payments here. It's, it's more difficult. There's, um, for instance, there's laws here that, you know, require financial institutions gather certain information, like social security number, from anyone who wants to open an account. And so if you're someone who doesn't have access to that information, if you don't have a social security number or, 
or something like that, or maybe you're not willing to share it, then you're kind of isolated here. And so our infrastructure really is what separates us, I think, in a lot of ways from what other countries are doing. And I want to, to close, sort of end on where do we go from here? Because I think this this is an interesting issue because if you just think about the advancement of technology, going cashless kind of makes sense. It just seems like that's where we're going. But and I've seen some some bold predictions, I guess, that sort of support that. But I think at least in the U.S., to me, it also seems like it may be this sort of two steps forward, one step back type of future for the for the cashless movement. Well, we're certainly what we're certainly watching what's happening here in New York, and then of course in other states and cities around the country. And at the same time, we're also seeing, or we're also watching to see what other solutions tech kind of comes up with. It was, I'll leave it on this note. I talked to someone at the financial clinic in New York, which, which helps people in need manage their money. And I asked him, I said, you know, are we going to ever get to this point where we can be fully cashless? And his response was, no, not yet. That I like to think eventually we'll get there, but right now we, we just can't go cashless because what's being offered by the tech sector and, and given you know regulations in this country you know it's it just it's just not time yet there's still people that need to pay with cash so so not yet is is the short answer to that all right that's all very good to know again i've been speaking with krista gamalik she's a reporter with bloomberg news and you can follow her on twitter at k gamalik Krista, thanks for speaking with me today. Thanks so much. And I'm Andrew Mock. You can follow me on Twitter at Andrew J. Mock. And as always, get all of your news updates 24-7 at TikTok.